Happy Thanksgiving weekend to you. How many of you right now have some family in town? They're here with you. They're in for Thanksgiving. Raise your hand. Just, it's good to have all of our guests here for Thanksgiving. Raise, let's give them a hand for being here. We usually, when we have guests, we usually like to have them stand up and have them run around the church a few times. So, but we're going we're gonna to say we're not going to do that this weekend. All right. Especially for you down here. Okay. Um, but uh, it's good to have everybody. So I love Thanksgiving. Kind of ushers into me the Christmas season. Some of you ushered in it about two months ago. But to me, this is kind of the beginning. So it's good to have family in town. I got one of my sons in town. I love that. I'm waiting for the other one to come in. And uh, so I want to say thank you before we jump into this. Thank you for praying for uh, uh, Amy and, uh, and, and me. We went to, uh, we were in Cuba this past week. And uh, I'm going to talk, I think I'm going to save that for next week, talk more about what we did there. But uh, just a little, we were able to train uh, and, and invest our, ourselves in about 120 uh, different pastors and, and, and some of their wives. It was really a great week. So I'll tell you more about that. My stomach is still trying to decide whether or not it was happy that I was in Cuba. So if you see me leave quickly, uh, you'll know what's going on. And uh, let's see, Mike Marblestone, my notes are up here. You're preaching. Okay. All right. So, all right. <laughs> and we're live streaming right now. So welcome to everyone who's out there. Okay. Let's get your Bibles turned to Matthew chapter 26 right now. Uh, we're starting a brand new series that's going to, uh, called In God We Trust. The series is going to lead us into our Christmas series. Which, so, but I'm really excited about this series. And, and I'm excited about the topic of, of, of this, uh, this morning. Um, one of the things that, that I'm so grateful for um, is my wife. We've been uh, next week, or let's see, December 19th, a couple weeks from now, we'll be married 24 years. And uh, I, when I came into marriage, I was 27, she was 24. Um, I grew up in a house full of boys, so there was a lot of things that I had to learn, even at 27 years old, about, about being married. Uh, like, I, I really didn't know it was, it was not a good thing to burp at the table. I mean, we celebrated that in my house. Uh, and, and who knew to leave the toilet seat, you know, take, put it back down after you went to the bathroom? You know, so a lot of things. But so I, and I could keep going on and on. Um, and even get more crude. However, um, one of the biggest things that I've learned from her is that there is really, there's power and joy in living a generous life and really being generous with your lifestyle. And I'm, and I'm going to be honest with you, this has not been an easy lesson uh, for her to teach me. Um, here's why. She and I both grew up in homes where uh, we were taught to tithe off of everything that we earned. My dad owned a flower shop, so when I was 12, 13 years old, I mean, I had my first job, and, and, and you know, he would pay me, and from the very first, 10% went right to the Lord, right to the church. So we, were, we, we learned that early. So we didn't have to even argue about this when we got married. I was a, I was a student pastor. She was a, a school teacher in a Christian school. Neither one of us made, you know, we didn't make a lot of, mo- a lot of money at all. And so we went into marriage and I had already bought a house. Um, so, but we had a car payment. We had both had student loans. We had bills, but, but it, was, it was just a given. Every time that we got paid, the very first check that we wrote was 10% of our income to the church. It's what we grew up doing. However, here's where the two of us, here's where we ran into some conflict. Um, she believed that everything belonged to God, like 100% of it. And he just, he just wanted us to give him the first 10%. I believed that 10% belonged to God and the rest of it was mine. 
Like, like 90, that, was, that belonged to us. And so we both trusted that God would take care of us and have our backs financially if we just trusted him with the 10%. And I want to tell you, he, he has in so many amazing ways over the last 24 years. And I, I, both of us watched it growing up. However, Amy brought a, a quite bit more trust in God when it, come, when it came to finances and time and town, all that stuff. She brought more trust into the marriage than I did. She had this very, very biblical view, which was a proper view of how to handle money and stuff, it, that, that it was actually all his, where I just kind of believed that it was just 10%, all right? And so there were always people, there were always projects, you'd hear about them in church or you'd hear about them just through our natural friendships, where Amy would, she would want to give above and beyond the 10% to people. She actually wanted to be generous, Imagine that. And, and I struggled with this. Matter of fact, I would be irritated with her about this. And it, and it actually led to some arguments because, again, in my mind, God got his 10% every time we got paid. The rest of it was ours. 90% of it was ours. Besides, we were young, you know, married, had a lot of financial obligations. And matter of fact, we, we would get into we would get, when we would get into a financial crunch, which we did very often, she would say something like this, you know what, let's really trust God even more and up our giving. And I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? What, do you know? Now, when we were, let me just tell you kind of a little other story here. When, when we, before we ever got married, we did one of the smartest things you could ever do. Those of you who are, uh, who are engaged or thinking about getting married, we, asked, we went through premarital counseling. And the guy, and, and our premarital counselor's name was Dave Adams. And what's kind of fun now is that Dave Adams is actually a teacher at Liberty and he's teaching a, a class that my, my younger son, Zach, is in right now. So it's just kind of fun to think 24 years ago, he's investing in us. But now he's investing in my, in my younger son. But the last day of our premarital counseling with Dave, Dave looks at me, okay? And I'll never forget this. He goes, I'm gonna give you the best piece of advice I can give you right now. He says, always listen to your wife. Ladies, she, and he said, she's wise and she will always have your greatest interest in mind. So oftentimes when Amy would, would say, let's up our giving or let's help so-and-so out, we, we would give even though I wasn't happy about it. And, and, and here's what was going through my mind. Every time she would say, let's up our giving or let's help so-and-so out, I would go, stinking Dave Adams. Stink, I mean. Now, I'm gonna be very honest with you about how I, how I assess the early years of how Amy and I approached the whole issue of, of generosity. Even though we always gave a tithe, 10%, I was actually even somewhat legalistic about the 10% because I gave it out of obedience, but I struggled to go beyond that because, again, I believed I owned the 90. And I actually dealt with the 90 with a bit of fear and greed. Amy, on the other hand, she gave, we gave 10% out of, she gave it out of obedience as well, but she loved to give above and beyond because she believed it all belonged to God. And so to give more was to actually trust him more. And the more generous she was, uh, you know, the more joy she would experience and the more that she would get to see God do amazing things in her life. And so with everything I've just told you, guess whose mindset has won out over the last 24 years? Hers, all right? And I've got to tell you something. With all of my heart, I'm so glad it, it, it has. Because had it not, I would have missed out on some of the big, biggest blessings I've ever received in my life. 
I would have missed out on, on seeing God do some of the most amazing things I've ever seen. I would have missed out on some of the, most, the, the greatest moments of joy that I've ever experienced because here's, here's what I'm still learning about generosity and stuff and, and I'm still a work in progress. Everything belongs to God. Everything, whether it's your money, whether it's your time, whether it's your talents, no matter what it is, the car that's out there, it all belongs to God. It's all his. So God calls us to approach his stuff 100%, 100% with a lifestyle of generosity. And the greatest way to conquer maybe what you may have is uh, maybe fear or greed when it comes to all that stuff is to be generous. The, the most powerful thing I've ever witnessed God do in my lifetime, whether it's personal or whether it's through this church, have almost always been connected to acts of generosity. And here's something else. When you invest in God's kingdom, he will take care of what you believe to be yours. And you, you cannot outgive God. Listen, he can be trusted when you decide to engage. And through the little moments of irritation and aggravation that Amy and I have had between us over this issue, I can honestly, and I say this with all sincerity, I cannot think of one moment when I have chose or we've chose to be generous together that I've regretted that decision. So much so that generosity has actually become a value of my life and it's become a value of this church. Now, here's why I'm telling you this today. I'm telling you this because most Christians and most people outside the walls of the church approach money and stuff like I did. Just a lot of fear and a lot of greed. And guess what? They're missing out. They're like me in the early years of our marriage. Here's the approach we take. I'll, I'll, I'll give you this much, but the rest is mine. Or, or how in the world could, could we ever be generous when we have so much debt, we have so many bills or, you know, whatever. I mean, and I totally get that. So I want you to know, I understand the tension. I feel a little tension in the room right now. But I will tell you from firsthand experience, it's, it's a freeing, powerful thing to learn to trust God completely with your stuff, with your money, with your, with, with your time with the abilities and the talents that God has given you. It's, it's so freeing when you're able to just, just come before God with open hands, push it all in and go, God, it's all yours. It's, it's liberating when you realize that it's all his. To be freed up to, from either a legalistic mindset about giving or even fear or greed uh, about money and, and stuff, it, it's life-changing. But you're probably going to have to wrestle with some tension. I just want you to know that. You're going to have to overcome some fear and probably a little bit of greed to get there. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm not going to lie to you. It's, it's a challenge. It, it truly is a challenge because it, it just goes right to our heart. The decision to live a generous lifestyle, it's going, to go, it's going to go after your fears. It's going to go after the things that are near and dear to your heart. And it's actually going to really expose what you really believe about the heart of God. What you really believe about the idea, can I trust him? You're, you will wrestle. Can, can God be trusted with one of the things that's closest to my heart? Which for some of you, it's your money. For some of you, it's your, it's your time or your things. I mean, it's the things that we look at and we go, this is mine. Now, there's, a, there's an amazing Bible story in, in the book of Matthew. It's actually also told in the book of John that I believe really, really helps us to, to get our arms around this challenge that we're talking about this morning. And it involves a woman by the name of Mary. Mary, not the mother of Jesus, not Mary Magdalene. Matter of fact, the Bible calls her the other Mary. And it also involves Jesus's disciples and a guy named Simon, a Simon and a guy named Lazarus and a woman named uh, Martha. 
It's a powerful story that, that just challenges the way that we approach the subject of trusting God and the idea of generosity. We're going to start reading in verse 6. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant saying, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. Now, Matthew places this story right smack in the middle of a plot to betray Jesus. If you, if you keep reading on, go beyond 13, you'll see that Judas you know, sets up this plot to betray Jesus. And I believe the reason it's here is because God wanted to show us the, ugly, the ugliness of fear and greed and also in contrast to the beauty of, of, of the power of faith and generosity. Now, this story takes place on a Saturday. It's, 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 a, it's almost a week before the crucifixion of Jesus, six days before the Passover. Jesus is in, is in Bethany, which is about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And at the table, you've got Simon the leper, who Jesus had healed. You also have a guy named Lazarus who Jesus had raised from the dead. And so this dinner is, given being, is, is being given in honor of Jesus. And John chapter 12 actually gives us the, the guest list for the dinner. You have the disciples, you have Lazarus, you have Simon, you have Martha, and you have this woman named Mary. And she was Lazarus's sister along with Martha. Now, like any other dinner, I'm sure there's probably talking, there's probably laughter going on, you know, there's storytelling. But Mary was not involved in any of this. She wasn't even really connected to the meal. Because while Jesus and the other guests are, are relaxing, the Bible says they're reclining, Mary walks into the room and she brings this very full jar of expensive perfume, this expensive ointment. And she pours it over Jesus' head. And it was a tremendous act of love and faith and generosity. When the disciples look at what Mary does here, the Bible tells us in verse 8 that they were indignant. Now, they weren't just clearly, they weren't just, you know, calmly suggesting that Mary had made a mistake. No, they're, they're, they're ticked off about it. And they're having this little side conversation where they're basically blasting Mary behind her back. And Judas, the disciple who later speaks up, he says, listen, he says, this oil might have been sold for, for a large sum of money to actually help the poor people. You think Judas actually meant that? The disciples, they see Mary's action as a complete waste. The Bible says they were indignant. They were outraged by this act of generosity. In other words, Jesus really wasn't worth this kind of sacrifice. But Jesus saw it very differently. The, what the disciples saw as waste, Jesus saw as a wonderful act of worship. And so full of grace, as usual, as always, Jesus recognizes what's happening in the room and he decides to use this as a moment to teach his followers the power of a generous life, the power of generosity. Look at verse 10. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And then he lays out, in this story, he lays out three things that he wants to teach them and I believe teach us about generosity. First of all, generosity teaches us to focus on what's important. Jesus responds, these guys, guys, what, what's your deal here? Why, why, are you, why are you troubling this woman? She's done a beautiful thing for me. Now, I'm, I'm sure that it completely surprised the disciples that Jesus defended Mary. 
But Jesus actually calls it a good work, a beautiful thing. Now, Jesus wasn't diminishing the importance of, of, of helping the poor. He was actually saying that helping the poor is a wonderful thing. But what he was emphasizing was the fact that worshiping him was the most important thing you could do. Matter of fact, the overflow of a focused, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ will lead us to truly want to take care of the poor and to meet the needs of the oppressed and to take care of those who can't help themselves. It's, it's first things first. A generous heart begins when we are focused on what's the, most, what's the most important issue, which is worshiping Jesus. Generosity will overflow out of a heart of worship. And Mary fully understood the value of the jar that was in her hands. But she also fully understood the eternal value of a, the Savior that was seated in front of her and what he was about to do for not only her, but for the rest of, her, uh, of the world, which was to give his life for them. So when you're standing there and you have this jar, what, what do you do to say thank you for something like that? You respond with worship. And generosity is, to the Lord is an act of worship. Generosity, generosity is actually a proper response to this kind of grace, which we truly don't deserve. And Mary understood who Jesus was and the fact that he was about to give his life for her sins. She understood that it was a grace that she didn't deserve. So she came to this meal prepared and her, first, her focus was first and foremost on Jesus. And, and as an act of worship, she takes her jar and she pours the contents onto Jesus' head. And we're going to find out later in John chapter 12, if you look over there, that she actually even pours it onto his feet as well. Mary's act of generosity was unstrained. I mean, she held nothing back. The financial cost was not a restraint for her. The emotional cost was not a restraint. Worrying about what other people think, were going to think about it didn't restrain her. Jesus was her whole focus. Nothing was going to restrain Mary from, her, from offering him the very, very best that, she, that she, could, she could give. Matter of fact, the Apostle John tells us in his version of the story that when, G, when she poured it on, her, on his head, that she then poured it on his feet and she began to wipe his feet with her hair. And just think about this. As she's doing that, the powerful scent of this perfume, this ointment, begins to fill the room. Everyone in the room could smell it. And for Mary, this, the generosity, it, it, it was just her lifestyle. It wasn't like a, a box to be checked, something on her checklist of things to do. It came from a life that focused on worshiping Jesus. And that's the kind of people that God has called us to be. We generously give of ourselves, our resources, our lives because of who we are in Christ. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. The focus of generosity is Jesus. The second thing that Jesus teaches us here is that generosity teaches us to sacrifice for what's important. Look at verse 12. Jesus says, now in pouring this ointment on my body, she's actually done a whole lot more. She's done it to prepare me for burial. In other words, the sacrifice just takes on a whole new meaning. Her investment would have had a greater meaning than she would have ever realized. And Jesus tells his followers, this is not a waste at all. This generous act of worship is actually preparing my body for burial. So often when we're willing to generously sacrifice, listen, without even knowing it, we give up something valuable to gain something even more valuable. 
Every time that you give financially to this church, it's not just going to pay to keep the lights on in here, which is important. It's not just going to to take care of the grounds and the things outside of this building and the, the building itself, which is all important. Listen, it's going for a whole lot more. It's allowing us to invest in our children and our students in this building. It's helping us to make disciples through our small group ministry. It's allowing us to bring clean water to dying children in Africa. It's going to plant the gospel in some of the most unreached cities in our whole nation. It's going to, to take care of the homeless and the less fortunate, even in, like right here in our own region. And for Mary, she came with a generous sacrifice, a jar of very expensive ointment. But really, it was, it, was, it was more than that. And she had no idea it was going to be more than that. This, this, this ointment would actually go with Jesus to the cross. It would go with him to his death. It, it would actually prepare his body for the grave. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. What if Mary would have chosen to just keep the beautiful jar and the expensive ointment all to herself? What if she had just kept it on a, on a shelf in her house and just said, you know what, I'm just going to display it. It's so beautiful. The contents are so amazing. I'm just going to put it over here and just let people just stare at it and admire it. Or I'm just going to keep it all to myself. What, where would it be right now? Think about this. Well, the beautiful expensive jar would have been probably scattered among millions of other Pieces of pottery which are now buried in the sands of Jerusalem somewhere. The oil worth, uh, worth at that time a whole year's wages, which would have been about $30,000 in today's economy, it would have just evaporated. If Mary would have chosen to use it on herself, where would it be? Completely gone. Instead, through her generous act, she used it in a way that would make a statement that, that, that could not be made any other way. She chose to use it to anoint the body of Jesus, a sacrificial act. And by doing so, she did something with eternal significance that left us a legacy that's actually challenging us this morning. Now, I want you to think about this. And I've thought about this throughout the week as I, as I studied this. How would you have handled this moment? Would you have been more like Mary? Just hands wide open, bringing your best? Or would you have been like the disciples? Fear and greed. Fear and greed or trust and worship. I mean, those are the two things here. Mary chose trust. She chose worship. Instead of waiting for a, a private moment later on, Mary just seized the moment. She didn't know if she'd have another moment like this with Jesus. Jesus is right in front of her. And she, so she brings her best. She takes it and she pours it all over his head and feet. And to her, there was absolutely no question that Jesus was worth the price she sacrificed. It cost her something, but it was worth so much more. To be a person who makes a difference with our lives, listen, you cannot do it without being committed to generosity because there's tremendous power in generosity. I have seen it over and over throughout my life. Generosity can penetrate hearts and change a life in a way that nothing else can. Generosity has no boundaries. Generosity can come overcome any obstacle. Generation, uh, generosity breaks through sin. It breaks through things like racism and bigotry. Generosity is a gift that, that can never be taken away or diminished. It accomplishes the, the impossible. It changes everything. It impacts eternity. As most of you know, uh, we moved here over 19 years ago 
to plant this church. Uh, myself and, and three other couples and, and my, my brother already lived here with his wife and we, we gained some, some other great couples, many who are here in the church. And we started this church on September 7th, 1997 in Vaughn Elementary School, uh, right, which is right down the road here. And we, we, get, we go into the first few months of the church and we get down to the very end of 1997 in December and we literally run out of money. Matter of fact, I can tell you, we had $22 in the bank. And I've got three full-time guys, including myself. Paul was part-time at the time, and I, I was in a panic. The Sunday before, we had had our, the last Sunday of December, we had had our lowest attendance ever. We had our lowest offering ever. And I'm like, Lord, what is going on here? I mean, I was having a crisis of belief of whether God was still with us, whether his hand was still on our church. And got down to the very last day of 1997, and I'm pleading with the Lord, Lord, help us. I don't know what's going to happen here. How are we going to pay our bills? I mean, how are we going to even live? We just barely made it through Christmas. And at the end of the day, miraculously, someone ended up giving me a check for $30,000. I was totally blown away. We go into January, and we get another surprise check from an organization outside of the church for $7,000, and now we've got $37,000 to deal with. Well, in February, um, we had a group called World Help uh, call us, uh, actually called us before and said, hey, we would like to come and do a, you know, a Sunday night service. We didn't do Sunday night services. We still don't. And, uh, and we'd like to present to you this opportunity uh, to just you know, talk about planting a church in India and what we're doing in India. And I'm like, that's great. You know, so they bring a singing team and they show this, begin to show this video about planting a church in India. And I've got this couple sitting next to me that had been with us since day one, Rick and Leanne Law, who are still here. They were in the nine o'clock service. Uh, and Leanne, she's sitting next to me and she says to me, she leans over and she says, I'm going to get your wife. I'm like, all right. My wife, uh, my wife, my sister-in-law Dawn and Steve's wife, Christy, were running the preschool for the first year and a half of the church. And uh, so next thing I know, my wife Amy comes and sits down next to me. And here's what's being said on stage. For $4,200, you can build a building, a, church, a brand new church in, in India. You can take, you will have, you can put a chair, in, a chair for all of these people in, inside the building. And you can hand, put a Bible in every hand, in every person's hand who lives in the whole village. For $4,200. And I'm just watching this going, man, that would be really cool to be able to do that. But eh, no, we're not doing that. Well, my wife, who now is taking this all in, she leans over and she goes, we need to plant a church in India. I'm like, what are you talking about? How are we going to do that? We don't even have any money. She goes, oh, we do. She goes, $30,000, $7,000. We need to tithe 10% of that and give it to plant a church in India. And I'm like, what? And she goes, let's take an offering right now. We can do the whole thing. And I'm thinking, stinking Dave Adams. <laughs> so I go, all right. So I grab some of my staff and a couple of the guys who were in leadership at the time. And I said, okay, here's, here's, here's what Amy said. Let, uh, I actually think I took credit for it. I, hey, what do you guys think about this? So I walk up, I get on stage. We take an offering and I kid you not, almost to the penny, we took almost the exact amount needed in, along with the $3,700 to build this building that you're going to see, to put a, chair, a bunch of chairs in that building and put a Bible in every person's hand in that village. That church has now been going on since 1999, and I don't know how many people have come to Christ, but I want to tell you what happened as a result of that. The next Sunday, 
We, I'm looking at, I mean, it's like somebody just poured jet fuel on our church. It was incredible. And I'm like going, I think God's into this church planning thing. I think he might be into it. So all of a sudden we, got, we get involved in planning a church in Salt Lake City, Utah. We plant a church on the other side of town. 2005, we started church planning school. Now we're sending people out of here, church planters. We've planted like 60-something churches. We, then in 2010, we start this network called Launch, and we plant another 80-something churches, 100-something churches, whatever. And then the next thing you know, we're planting churches overseas. And it's just like, I'm going, I never anticipated this. And we developed a system for, for, for uh, training, assessing, training, coaching church planners, which uh, it's just like all of a sudden denominations and networks are coming to us and going, hey, can we use this? And the next thing you know, there's about 28 different organizations that are, now we're providing this system for. And then this organization called the North American Mission Board says, hey, would you just give it to us? And I'm going, are you, are you kidding me? And so we ended up giving it to them. And so now they have it. And whereas we thought, hey, we'll plant a bunch of churches in the next 10 to 15 years, they're going to plant along with these other organizations somewhere to between 10 to 15,000 churches all over North America. Now, here's the deal. When I moved here, I had no intention of planting another church. It didn't even cross my mind. I just wanted to plant this one and survive. But God took one moment of sacrificial obedience, that one small gift of generosity, and he blessed it way, way, way beyond anything I could have ever imagined. I never imagined we'd be part of planting all of those churches all over North America and all over the world. But that's what God does with generosity. When you focus on what's important, when you sacrifice for what's important. And then the third thing Jesus teaches is that generosity teaches us to leave an eternal legacy for, for what's important. Look what he says to Mary here. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. In other words, generosity is a commitment to the eternal, not the, just the temporal. Jesus didn't cur- criticize Mary for the financial irresponsibility that, that the disciples thought that she had just exercised. In other, instead, he honored her for her understanding of what was most important. You see, when you choose to generously invest your life into eternal things, you are building an eternal legacy. When, when you take on a lifestyle of generosity, it's one of the most powerful things you could ever experience. God will begin to take your life and your, and, and your influence and he'll begin to use you in ways you could never have imagined. All of a sudden, you begin to find yourself in situations you never ever thought you would ever be in or dream that you would ever be in. Just think of all of the things that we've been able to do together over the last 19 years as a church. I think of Hope for Christmas, which is getting ready to come up. All of the thousands of people who we've been able to serve at Christmas time. We never, we never thought we would do something like that when we planted this church. Think about just the, the, the thousands of kids and, and students in this area that we've been able to see come to Christ and even adults. I mean, I mean we knew we'd see a lot of people come to Christ, but the, the, that's, it's just blown us away. When I think about our work in Guatemala and the fact that we're actually transforming villages and, and putting wells and providing water to everyone and building churches, I'm going, I didn't... I never thought we'd do something like that. What our students are doing in Nicaragua right now, right now, it's just amazing to see church plants in Baltimore and Boston and Orlando, Florida and other places. I think back even to the past of what we did in Jamaica and Israel and now we have missionaries all over the globe and all of the things that we've done with our gift offering over the years, it just blows my mind. 
But it's all because of generosity. I'll tell you one of my favorite generosity stories, and I've told this before, but it's worth telling again. I was sitting in a, in a conference in 2006 with our elders in Chicago. And the, the host pastor, Bill Hybels, is interviewing this guy you may have heard of, Bono, lead singer of some little band called U2. And Bono's talking about all, just millions of children dying in Africa from waterborne related illnesses and, and malaria and how millions of people are dying of AIDS and how the church is doing practically nothing about this. And how, I mean, other people are doing it, but the church is not engaging. And I'm just sitting here going, we have to do something. It was like the Holy Spirit just started speaking to me. We ha- this cannot happen. Millions of kids dying and we're not doing anything about it. So I just began to pray, Lord, I don't even know where to begin. I don't even know, like, where would we begin in Africa? And through, a, through just a series of miraculous events, miraculous events, all of a sudden we get connected to this little country called Burkina Faso. And I turned Paul Richardson loose and with some of our other staff, I said, go over there, check it out. He comes back with a plan. And here we are today, X amount of years later, and we have now over 500 new wells a nonprofit called Engage Burkina. We have churches all over America, different denominations investing in this. We have over 50 new churches that we've planted. Over 6,000 people have come to Christ. And it's gone, it's gone so far beyond anything that I could ever have imagined. And it just began with, hey, let's get involved. Let's put our money in this. Let's, fi- let's figure out. And we joined God and he took it and blew it up beyond. Listen, few of us, if any of us, will ever have our names written in history books. What's more likely to happen, hopefully, for all of us is that we'll be, we'll be remembered by the lives of those who are closest to us. Just our, 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 our wife or our husband will touch their life, our children, our friends, our coworkers. Mary, she touched the life of Jesus. And he was so captivated by her generosity that he proclaimed, wherever the, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deeds, it will be remembered and it will be discussed. More than the act, more than the oil, What was her focus? Her focus was on a person. While Jesus was still with her, she wanted to give him the most precious, most expensive thing she had to offer. It touched, and it touched Jesus' heart so much that he promised it, promised her, listen, this will be your legacy. I want you to think for just a moment, if you would, about everything God's given you. And to just understand that it's all his. The money, your time, your abilities, your business sense, whatever it is that you do, your, your, all of that stuff, it's all his. And I want you to think about all of that. How do you view those things in light of eternity? Do you hold on to those things tightly out of fear and greed or even out of a sense of ownership? Or do you see yourself as a steward of God's stuff that he's entrusted you with, ready at any moment when the Holy Spirit prompts you, when God speaks to you, that you're willing to invest, to pour out, when he says to pour out, when he says to jump in, you're like, I'm ready. I will be generous when he says be generous. Listen, one approach, one approach, when we, when, we hold, when we hold things tightly, I want you to know it just leads to a wasted, selfish life. The other leads to a eternal impact and it leads to legacy. Mary honored the Lord and in doing so she left a legacy. She's this 
example of an ordinary person whose life was redeemed by an amazing God and transformed by his power and grace because she listened, she understood, and she acted generously on what she knew to be true. An ordinary person with an extraordinary passion. And as you think about Mary's gift of of worship, here's what I want to ask you. What, What is God right now? What is God asking you to give him this morning? With all of the stuff that's in your hands that he's entrusted you with, what's he asking you to give? Here's the answer. He wants us to come to him at all times with hands wide open and offer him everything we have from a generous heart just because we love him. He wants us to give expecting nothing in return. Because here's the truth. Someday we will all stand before God and we will give an account for how we invested our lives how we invested the things he entrusted us with, and what will our generosity look like at that moment? Listen, I'm not, I'm not just challenged by that as a person. I am challenged by that as the pastor of this church. I want this church to be known as the most generous church on the face of the earth. Truly. But what will our generosity look like? What, with your time, do you give, listen, do you give God tips and leftovers or do you give him the first and best of what you have to offer? With your finances, what if God said to you today, listen, if you will begin to trust me with your finances, I will take you on a journey of generosity that will blow your mind. I will put you in places and allow you to experience things you've never dreamed of. We're getting ready in a, in, in a couple weeks to take our gift offering. We're trusting God that you'll be generous so that we can be generous. And with that, here's what we're hoping to do to create some local internships for, uh, for, for some of our own students right here who are, who are either wanting to go into ministry. We want to invest in them. We want to, once again, we want to be able to, to gift the whole Paulding County football team to go back to FCA camp again. I can't tell you the impact it's made on some of those students. We want to be able to continue to expand our ministry to our children and students inside this building and outside the building. We want to plant churches in places like Boston and Miami and downtown Atlanta. We, we want to take we, our work in Burkina. We're getting ready to move into a new people group. We've, we've, we've seen 6,000 poogly people in Burkina come to Christ. This one people group. And we're getting ready to move on to the next people group, the Ja. They don't have the Bible They've never, they've never had it in their hands. And we're, we're having Wycliffe Bible translators translate the Bible into the Ja language so they can hold the gospel in their hands and hear about Jesus for the first time in their lives. We're going to build a women's rescue center over there for, for the, the sex trafficking. I mean, it's, it's crazy all over the world, but it's just, it's, it's, it's insane in Burkina. Bringing in women, girls, young girls from Nigeria and selling them. And we want to be part of, of, of building a women's rescue center over there. But you know what? It's all dependent on our generosity. So everyone can play a part. Jesus said of Mary that her gift of generosity would be remembered in the years to come as a memorial to her. And my question for all of us and for you today is what will people remember about you? Live your life. Live your life to be remembered for things that matter. Live for acts of kindness that, that lighten the load of those who are hurting and weary. Live to be remembered for, for giving what, what you have for the benefit of those who have nothing. Live, live in such a way that you demonstrate the power of a generous life. When you come to Jesus with all that you have 
and you give generously back to him without fear, without greed, without a sense of entitlement and a sense of ownership, but instead with a heart full of love, faith, and trust, expecting nothing in return, you will find yourself in places you've never dreamed of, meeting people you never imagined you'd meet, being used in ways that you never imagined you could be used. That's the power of a generous life. Let's bow our heads. Father, turn our hearts inside out today. Change our minds, change our hearts about the sense of ownership, the sense of entitlement. Free us up from fear and greed. My heart truly is to not just be the most generous person in the world or the most generous pastor, but that we would be the most generous people. This church would be the most generous church on the face of this earth. Expecting nothing in return, but Lord, blown away by what you've already done and hoping to do so much more. Lord, I, my prayers that our best stories are yet to come. Lord, would you give us, would you give us some new stories to tell? that make us cheered, make us clap, make us just stand back in in awe. Lord, every story that we've been able to tell in this church has always been connected to a moment where we've had to say yes and we've had to act generously. And you've taken it and blown us away. May our lives reflect that. Lord, this is personal. It goes to our very heart. Talks about our money, our time our talents. Lord, may we realize it's all yours and may we at any moment push it in, push it into the game so that you can use it for your glory and then stand back and watch what what you can do, giving you all the thanks. We love you today. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.